As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. The text this morning is the gospel that's appointed for this day. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. How would you describe the work of the hospitals in the Little Rock area? Our answers would probably include a place or places that provide a diagnosis of illness, but then also a treatment for the same thing. How would you describe the work of utility companies? Among the answers would be the reality that they provide electricity and power for their consumers. How would you describe the work of fire and police departments? Well, those answers would include the protection of people from fire, from evil, and from chaos. How would you describe the work of the church? Initially, when we, when we consider that question, we probably could float up a couple of hundred of answers in our gathering here this morning. But there really is one answer because it involves the proclamation of the Lord's gospel. And that is the forgiveness of sins. We often don't think automatically of that, even though we are Lutherans. And our father in the faith, Martin Luther, when he was writing the small and the large catechisms and was commenting about the Apostles' Creed, noted that the forgiveness of sin is the dominant work of the church. And when he was commenting on the creed, he noted that the God, the Father, loves us without condition as he creates us. God, the Son, loves us in our sinfulness as he becomes a human being to die and rise for us. And then there is God, the Holy Spirit, who loves us through his daily activity in the scriptures and the sacraments of baptism forgiveness, and the Lord's Supper. Last Sunday, the scripture reading showed that sin breaks apart the Lord's life. Now, because you and I have been born into that sin, we tend to have either a weak or a naive understanding of sin's reality. To be honest, we like to think that the Lord God does not see it, or that he winks at it, or even better, that he understands it. Well, to be honest with you, if that is the way you and I are thinking, then you and I need to have a reality check. For the reality is this, the Lord God condemns sin. And it is only when we face up to that reality 
that we begin to see how incredible forgiveness is, how overwhelming and how freeing it really is. In the scripture readings over the last three Sundays, the Lord God has been reminding his followers that he has given them the power to bind sin and its withering effects, as well as the power to unleash his life through the scriptures and the sacraments. So when we come into this Sunday, you and I get another example of the forgiveness and the reality that is attached to it. Peter comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, if a brother or sister in the church, not in the workplace, but if a brother or sister sins against me, how often should I forgive? Recall from Genesis 3 that sin is the desire to be like the Lord God. That's how the serpent made it attractive to Adam and to Eve. To put it in a way that you and I maybe understand a little more clearly today, it is the natural assertion of oneself because we're working off of the notion that all of life revolves around me. So Peter wants to know if seven times is a good, enough, a good amount for that forgiveness. Well, here too, it's helpful to recall that in the scriptures, seven is a number that is often used to suggest completeness and fullness. So our Lord says to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. What our Lord is doing here is taking that complete number and then running it on and on and on. In order to explain then, Jesus relates the parable of a king who is settling accounts with his servants. One servant owes the king 10,000 talents. We need to do a little math here. One talent is more than 15 years of wages for a laborer. In today's money, and because Peter brought up the number, based on the pay of $7 per hour, this would come to more than $2,100,000,000 because there are 10,000 talents. The servant says he cannot pay this amount. So the king orders him to be sold, along with his wife and his children and all his possessions, so the payment can in fact be made. The servant falls on his knees before the king, pleading, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. I think we recognize that if you have debt that is that significant, over $2 billion dollars, you must have had access to some assets that would help pay that back. So out of pity for him, the king of that servant releases him and forgives him that debt. Remember, it is more than $2 billion. But that same servant, as he goes out, comes upon one of his fellow servants who owes him 100 denarii. 
Let's do the math on this. A denarius is the day's wages for a laborer. In today's money, based on the pay of $7 per hour, this would be about $5,600. Seizing this man by the throat, he says, pay what you owe. His fellow servant falls down and pleads with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refuses. He throws the man into prison until the debt is paid. And the other servants see what happened. They are greatly distressed. And they go and report to the king everything that has just occurred. The king summons then his first servant and says to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? In anger then, the king hands the servant over to be tortured until he pays the entire debt. Our Lord concludes this parable with the observation, So my heavenly Father will do to every one of you, that is, put you into a tortured circumstance, if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. This is an incredible story, isn't it? A man is forgiven a debt of over $2 billion, but he has to crash down on someone who owes him less than $6,000. So the question this morning is, what is going on here? Well, first of all, you and I, particularly as Lutherans, though some Lutherans do forget this. But you and I had this natural, incredible ability to wrap our lives tightly around ourselves. We love having everything revolve around who we are and what we do. But we also have to recognize that that wrapping ultimately surrounds us with disastrous consequences. And it is these consequences that distort and then rub out the Lord's forgiveness. It was noted earlier that last Sunday we saw that sin is the breaking apart of the Lord's life, both in our relationships with him as well as in our relationships with one another. Remember, too, that our natural tendency is to have a weak and naive understanding of sin's reality. You know, it's no big deal. We like to think that the Lord God doesn't see it, that he winks at it. But, of course, the best of all is that he understands it. My friends, the Lord God does not work that way. That's why out of his grace and out of his mercy, he exposes sin so it can be confessed and then forgiven. Thus, because sin is continually present around and through our lives, forgiveness becomes the work 
of the Lord's parish communities. Forgiveness is the only reality that can confront our natural desire to be like the Lord God. Forgiveness is the only reality that can break that desire down. Forgiveness is the only reality that can free us from that desire. And forgiveness is the only reality that can set you and me firmly in the ways of our Lord. When you and I are being twisted from the ways of the world, and remember the unholy trio of sin, Satan, and death are always driving that twisting, that's when forgiveness goes into action. You know, it is very good to be part of a parish community whose life is centered in the life of the Holy Trinity. But when the unholy trio starts going to work, how do they do their twisting? Well, here's one example. The unholy trio suggests that it's good enough for a parish to be warm, to be bright, and to be outgoing. Because this way, then, we're attractive to other people. And, of course, that's always going to have good consequences. But notice carefully what's wrong with that thinking. There's no forgiveness there. It's just concentrating on being warm, being bright, and being outgoing. And for a time, it looks like it works. You find people being attracted to those things. But those suggestions from the unholy trio are not enough. They do not cut it in terms of the the life that the Lord brought to this world through his sons dying and rising. Thus, it is so much better for a parish community to recognize that sin is destructive in its ways and that its conclusions are always deadly. It always has a bottom line. Death, this desire to be like God, always ends there. It is so much better to be part of a parish community where the parish is willing to confront sin, willing to confess it, and willing to gratefully receive the Lord's forgiveness. And it is so much better to be a part of a parish community that is warm, that is bright, and that is outgoing, but be it, those things are occurring because they're connected to the Lord's forgiveness. It is the forgiveness that creates those characteristics. The Lord God is continually working to free you and me from the crushing burdens of our self-absorbed lives. The Lord God is continually working to rescue you and me from the breakings of our relationships with him as well as with one another. Thus it is that the people who recognize these workings of the Lord know that their sins run up into billions of dollars. 
But because of the Lord's forgiveness, they are able to extend that forgiveness to those individuals whose sins may only total a few thousands of dollars. Thus, when we're talking about the work of hospitals or of utility companies or fire departments or police departments, let us remember that the work of this parish is to be drenched and overflowing with the Lord's forgiveness. Amen. Now may the peace of the Lord God, which is beyond all understanding, keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, our Lord.